this morning is uh, just at the top there of the outline uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12, and then just uh, uh, another additional verse at the end as well. Very familiar passage, very familiar image. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then a little bit later on in that chapter, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very useful for me and maybe of some benefit to you too. Over the next seven weeks, uh, we're going to be doing two things. Number one, we're going to realize who we are. Um, who watches that program, Who Do You Think You Are? It's really good, isn't it? And so the idea is, in, in many ways, all of us are a product of those who have gone before. So this interest in, in family history. Um, I mean, it, it would be an interesting thing to reflect on why that is particularly popular right now. And it really is. It's actually big business, isn't it? But there's that sense that we are products of those who have gone before us. Now, we're going to do that, um, but for, as God's people from God's perspective. We're going to be thinking about who we are as God's people from God's perspective. In many ways, um, the church collectively suffers from dementia. Now, there's not a single person here who hasn't experienced the effects of someone living with de dementia. And perhaps the deepest pain of living with people who suffer from dementia is not just memory loss. Now, all of us now... All of us now, when we have memory losses, which we do, don't we? We joke nervously, don't we? Oh dear, I... Mm, okay. I think the deepest pain is actually the loss of identity. The loss of identity. Because fundamental to our lives is that understanding, that consciousness of who I am. I am me. And I know I'm me in connection with all my memories that, 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 that interconnectedness with places and people, events. But if all those are gone, or they're fading, now that's frightening, isn't it? That's truly frightening. But what if God's people didn't know who they truly were? And in the same way as people, God's Word places our collective identity, who we are, as connected with certain events, certain people, certain places and circumstances. But if those are missing, so our true identity is gone. And when we look at God's people in many places, especially in the Western world, 
there is a creeping sense of dementia, and it takes away our God-given identity. We replace it with all sorts of other things, but we lose the identity which God has given us. And so we're going to be looking from God's perspective, not ours, God's perspective, who we are. And we're going to discover, and this is the title of the whole series, that we are God's glorious people. God's glorious people, which is really strange, isn't it? Because frankly, so often we don't feel that glorious, do we? We don't. And certainly, we're often surrounded by scandals and and controversies and decline and our own sinfulness. But we'll see how understanding who we are from God's perspective, not from ours, from God's perspective, is actually a game changer for our identity. So next week, Psalm 16, we're going to be thinking of God's glorious people. Then we're going to spend two weeks thinking about God's beautiful people, God's radiant bride. Okay, we're going to see how beautiful we are. This is absolutely, truly amazing when you open the Scriptures and see this. We are God's beautiful people and God's radiant bride. We're God's household. It's another week. We're going to look at God's beautifier. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to be thinking the church as God's pillar of truth. So that's what we're going to realize who we are. Secondly, we're going to ask this question. How can we be Christ's church? And we answer that not through our own preferences, not through tradition, not through experience, but out of who God says we are. And maybe we we would do well sometimes to try and and use words, other words, apart from the word church. Because if we played a word association game, for the vast majority of people, me included, you you say the word church, and what comes into your mind? Well, buildings, does, services, organizations, institutions. Now, the word in Greek doesn't mean that. The word in Greek which we translate as church, is ecclesia. Now, you'll remember that because that's where we get the word ecclesiastical from, ecclesia. But the heart of that is an assembly and a a community together, those who acknowledge Christ as Lord. It's not about a building because in the early church they didn't have purpose-built buildings and still around the world today there are many churches that don't have their own buildings. So it's not about a building. It's not about an institution because actually... In the early days, that there wasn't an institution. It's not primarily about services. In fact, the word in classical Greek derives from the word for call out. They're the called out ones. We're called out. That's part of what it means to be God's ecclesia, his assembly. We're called out. We're called out from something so that we can be something. And we'll look at that too. See, when you look at the New Testament... Um, almost always, there's just a, a few exceptions, but almost always it points to things that are living and dynamic, not static and dead and lifeless. So church, something you go to? No, it's not. You can't go to church. That makes no sense. We are the church. Is it something I consume? It's not, and we'll discover that. Is it something I did? Th- this is an interesting one. You know, I've decided I'm going to go to church, and, and we think it's, it's, this is something I decide. Well, mm, actually, the deeper truth, and we'll, we'll see this, the New Testament says, no, you don't decide this. You're called. You're called to be the church. It's his decision, God's decision first. Something I prefer? No, again, we'll see it's about God working. 
So to put it bluntly, I face a question. When it comes to church, do I want it all about me or God? Do I want it all about me or God? And my answer will by and large determine whether we place ourselves at the heart of God's will and purpose and love or as outliers to that. Now, the stakes are really higher, high. And we're seeing that, I've been saying this over the past few weeks, we're seeing that even in this country, as many dioceses are experiencing real decline because of the pandemic. It's not because of the pandemic. It was already happening. The pandemic's just sped that on. So, so even in this country, uh, you see many, many churches um, experiencing real, very fast decline. There have been many churches, many gatherings of Christians, even in the Anglican church, um, which over the next few years will just about cease to be. Stakes are high. But today, I just want to look at one truth, so it's really quick, this. And this is a foundational truth which, again, will actually, this truth will determine the future of us here, okay? As it will determine the future of every Christian gathering. And it's from 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Now, the body of Christ was Paul's favorite way of not just describing the Christian assembly and community. It expresses the way he understands it. He explains this interrelationship we have with one another. There's an interdependence, interconnectedness. It speaks about both unity and diversity. And, you know, we're familiar with this image. It's a very popular image, isn't it? The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So there's that sense of diversity, but also of unity as well. It speaks about how God works and how God uses us. It speaks about God's purpose for the way we live and work together. Verse 18, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So God has a purpose and an order and a plan for that. But all of this grows out of the most fundamental and foundational reality. And if we don't get this, we will fall and fail at the first hurdle. And it's the most obvious thing to say about this phrase, the body of Christ. The most obvious thing, but so often it's hidden in plain sight. Yes, we're part of it, individually members of it, Paul says, but this is not a trick question, okay? It's not a trick question. Whose body is it? And the answer is, whose? Christ's. We are the body of Christ. Whose body is it? Christ's. It's not mine, and it's not yours. And everything about that understanding of the church starts there. It all starts there. In other words, Christ's body is, by definition, his. We are his. Now, we live in a culture where the most basic philosophical truth which underlies our culture is this. And I've actually written this down because um, groups might be using this um, for, for material. In our culture, we believe almost as a fundamental human right that I have an inalienable right to choose and decide what I do with my body, how I use my body, how I might change my body. This is accepted as a self-evident truth. It's so self-evident that nowadays, uh, within politics, no one would question that belief. The problem is, of course, it's not a Christian view. Hmm. 
That's not a Christian view. Um, the Christian view is, is expressed in, in Romans 14, 7 to 8. None of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Okay, that's really clear, isn't it? In other words, ultimately, I don't just belong to myself. I'm not just answerable to myself. I'm not just living for myself. Um, I'm, I actually belong, I'm answerable to who? Well, it says the Lord, doesn't it? The Lord. A and that's a radical statement for us. Collectively, we are part of the body of Christ. Whose body is it? Christ's body. It's not mine. A and that goes along with Paul's favorite description of a Christian as someone in Christ. I'm in Christ as an individual, and I'm in the body of Christ as a member of his people. What does that mean? Just to kind of finish off with, here, here are some implications. Number one, Christ then is the head of the church. It points to his authority. Whose body are we? Christ's body. He's the head of the church. Um, Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, Christ, the church submits to Christ. And, and again, that's a really big thing, isn't it? It's not my church, and it's not your church. It's Christ's church. He is the head. He is the supreme authority. Uh, as the reformers used to say, Christ rules the church and shapes the church actually by his word, the scriptures. And, and so actually, with, with Christ as our head, he's going to shape us and lead us through his word. Um, he's the source of the church's life as well. Uh, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head, there's that phrase, over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He wants to fill his body um, with his life, with, with everything which actually sustains us. He is the source of the church's life. Tradition isn't the source of the church's life. Um, bishops aren't the source of the church's life. Christ is the source of the church's life. He is the head. He is the authority. He is the source. Uh, the church is also filled and resourced through Christ. So Christ's body grows through him and in him. Um, Ephesians 4, uh, verse uh, 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. People now go to the gym. They're into bodybuilding. Okay, bod now, actually, that's, not, that's quite a good phrase. We are the body of Christ. So how is the body of Christ built up? Now, here's a great, a great phrase. You'll never, you'll never guess who said this unless you know it. The church is the gym of the soul. Who said that? The church is the gym of the... That's a really good idea, isn't it? Bodybuilding in the gym. It says the church is... The, who said that? Rambo did. He did. Rambo did. Sylvester Stallone said that. Um, reflecting um, his Christian faith um, in, in a way only he could. But that's a good, the church is the gym of the soul, building up the body of Christ. Christ's body grows through him and in him. 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So when it comes to church growth, the, 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 the foundation to this is, is firstly us growing in him. Growth is defined always um, in relationship to Christ. Our activities, therefore, as a church, should always be defined by our relationship with Christ. Not by how full we are, not by how many things we're doing, um, not by anything else apart from our relationship with Christ. That is the, one of the key fundamental relationships which will define Christ's body. And then, and finally, and I love this, Christ's body is loved and nourished by him. Um, in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul uses the illustration of a husband and wife, uh, but he's really speaking about um, Christ and the church. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's humans, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So Christ's body is loved and nourished by him. And that's a perspective we need to get. He loves and he wants to nourish us. That's really great, isn't it? And we'll discover that again over the coming weeks. So that's why the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be at the center of our lives and our gatherings and our plans, our desires, as we seek to worship him and honor him and gather around his table and open his word. Why? Because that's who we are. We are the body of Christ. Who's Christ's? And our growth and health and our purpose, our lives, will grow out of that. If not, well, you see around us places becoming spiritual versions of the National Trust or kind of hollowed out museums, testimony uh, to bygone days and past glories, or thinking of the two nearest churches uh, next to us, spiritual versions of, of amateur dramatics. That's, you can see, when you start to see it from God's perspective, this is very different. And, and when churches discover this, they actually discover just the source of this life and the purpose. And guess what starts to happen? Churches grow, both deeper, but also often numerically too. As it leads us, again, paradoxically, as we look up, we'll start to look out more with a greater sense of purpose. Why? It's not because of us. It's because of him. Because we are his body. And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next seven weeks. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you call us to be part of your body. And I pray that over the coming weeks, you may give us a, just a new understanding of how much you love us, how you view us. And out of that, I pray that you may continually reform and renew and revive us. For we ask it in Jesus' name.